welcome to the Fretman Podcast. I'm your host, Fretman. I would like to thank our guests by giving us his time and allowing us the opportunity to feature him on our podcasts. Our guest today has been making music since he was very young. Besides making wonderful music, he also gives back to the community as a philanthropist. Our guest enjoys interacting with many audiences daily on his Instagram account and truly appreciates the opportunity to connect with them on a level that is more intimate than a live club performance. I am truly honored and humble to have met one of my true guitar heroes, and that is Jason Sine. today i have jason sine how are you doing jason welcome to the frontman podcast i'm doing thank you for having me i'm doing really well how are you good i'm doing well now uh i've been doing some research on you and you are one axe killer you love your axes you're a telly fan (laughs) like myself and uh besides playing guitar you do a lot of humanitarian things as well well, I try to. I don't talk about it a lot, but I try to help out where I can. <laughs> now, we'll just kind of start from the beginning. And you just originally started uh, playing guitar very early in your career. Well, yeah, I started playing guitar when I was about nine and a half. And it was sort of by accident. You know, my dad worked at a magazine. He uh, was the publisher, but he also sold ads. And Yamaha Guitars was one of the companies that had ads in his magazine. So they gifted him a couple three-quarter size acoustic guitars. And I was at his office on a Sunday. And I'm like, what's in that box in a guitar? Do you want it? And that's literally how it started. I just brought it home and was obsessed. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. Cool. And you also cool. had an uncle that was in the recording business. Well, he actually, in the recording business, but mainly in the jingle business. So he was in the 70s and early 80s. He was one of the top jingle writer producers in Los Angeles. And I used to hang out with him. And I was like, you know, in high school, I'd work for him during the summers. And uh, that was back in the day when commercials recorded in the same studios as full on major recordings, because that's all there was. There wasn't really a home studio back then. And there was no digital so you being around studios was very natural then. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in that environment, you know, and saw like all the top session guys come in and work on these tracks, you know, these little 30 second, 60 second spots. And it was mind blowing to just watch them do everything in one or two takes. You know, it was crazy. That, that must have been exciting. It was. It was really cool. Um, you've been a session musician yourself. Um, how is that? How was life as a session musician? Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because I'm going to kind of go backwards. Today, I, I hardly do any sessions compared to how much I did back then. And I just sort of fell into it. I went to Berkeley College of Music, and a few friends of mine became composers right out of the gate and needed guitar players. And they would call me to do sessions. And I'd already done, already worked on commercials with my uncle as early as 15 years old playing bass and guitar. So it was cool. I mean, it was scary because a lot of guys were more technically proficient than I was. Um, but I faked it. So I got along just fun. <laughs> um, 
after you finish finish college, did you have a mentor? Did you have someone to kind of guide you through that, or you just kind of relied back to the work that you already had done with your family? Well, I mean, at that point, I you know after coming back, I had formed a band at Berkeley, and we all came out to L.A. together, and the guys were from all the country, and it was in the height of the hair metal scene, you know, in, in Hollywood. And we did not fit in. You know, we just didn't fit in. We were listening to Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers, Neil Young, the Grateful Dead. And we just, you know, didn't fit in. And when that didn't really work out, I didn't have as many contacts out here as I thought, you know. And it was so I, you know, I I did regular gigs and I worked at a bank for a couple of years and delivered pizzas, did all kinds of different things. Um. And then sort of had to build that back up. And it was kind of, it was a little bit hard, to be honest. It was tough. Working about working at a bank, I guess uh, that's where I fit in. So yeah, I mean, I, I worked I worked at California Federal Bank, you know. <laughs> oh, I liked it, by the way, because I, I got off early, you know, back then, like, you you know, I would get off at like 3.30. Nice. And go rehearse or play. And, you know, so I, I still was gigging constantly and, and doing as much music as possible. But and, and writing songs, but you know, it took a while until I, you know, got a good break, which was you know joining up with a couple songwriters and musicians. And when I heard their songs, I'm like, these guys are going to get a big record deal, and we did. You know, we That's did. It was a band called Easy Pieces, and it was. And we got signed to you know Geffen, and we this incredible producer Don Smith was the was the producer. And that's how I met Mike Campbell was through Don Smith, you know, years later, you know, he said, you know, if you want a guitar player, I think you should try this guy out. You know, that's, I got a recommendation, but that was sort of the start of like this really cool phase of sessions. And, you know, Don had me play on all sorts of records and it was like a really cool, cool period of my life. Now, Don, he was at Sound City Studios, right? A lot. We did stuff at Sound City. We did stuff all over the place, actually. But he had a studio, uh, a home studio in Agora, California, that would rival any top studio in the world. I mean, it was like unbelievable. That's where we did the Five Easy Pieces record was in his studio in Agora. And it was it was pretty magical. I missed that place. That was a great time. Now, you did bring up a name, Mike Campbell. Mike Campbell. Now, you you play with him, obviously, uh, for many years. I guess yeah. you worked with him as a session musician, but now you actually play with him in a band called the Dirty Knobs, correct? Yes. And you guys are getting ready to go play pretty soon as well. Yeah, we uh, we just finished our record. We've never put out a record, and I've been playing with Mike since 2000. I met him in the year 2000, um, March of 2000, and. You know, we started gigging about a year later. You know, when he was off the road with Tom, we would just, you know, we would go play. And I, I think we probably recorded over the years at least 600 songs, at least. Wow. If not more. Yeah. So this is a long time coming. The only hard part about this record was how do you leave this song off? How do you leave this song off? But that was the how, you know, George Draculius, who's an amazing producer, who did the Black Crows first two records worked with tom petty the um so many incredible acts he he really kept us focused nice that's awesome yeah. 
Mike Campbell actually played guitar on one of your albums as well. Your first album? Yeah, so my first record, I started working on it in 1998. I was still signed to Geffen Universal and in that band, Five Easy Pieces. And he and I, Don and I, got along so well that when I would get off the road, I would go up to his house and we would like work on songs and bring people into play. And um, so it took seven years to finish it because we just sort of would work on it. You know, when we, when he wasn't busy or I wasn't busy, we would just throw it, throw people together, work on a song, credit like 35, 40 songs and whittled it down. And then in 2005, um, I got a record deal with tomato records, um, which was a, a really cool independent label. And the guy that signed me, he discovered Towns Van Zandt and a bunch of really cool artists and played. I'd been working with Mike for a few years. So Mike would often say, hey, bring in a song the next time we play and we'll record one of your songs. And many of those ended up on the record. <laughs> in fact, the first song on the record has the Heartbreakers is the backing band. Wow. With me, with the Heartbreakers. Yeah, except Benmont wasn't on it, but it was, you know, Mike, Ron. Steve and um, yeah, it was pretty magical. I couldn't believe it. I mean, when I was 13 years old, I, I discovered or 12, I discovered Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and just a super fan immediately. Like Tom was this guy to me that was a modern rocker that was as cool as any of the old school rockers, but maybe even cooler with more edge with this ridiculously, unbelievably talented guitarist. So it just spoke to me in so many ways. And so being in a room with those guys, you know, it, it never gets old. I mean, ne I never look at Mike across the stage and don't say to myself, I can't believe I'm playing with this guy. I can imagine goosebumps yeah. every time you go up on the stage next to him. It's like a dream come true. It is. Very blessed. Now, also on keys, you actually worked or you actually worked also on toured with Ivan Neville, correct? Yeah, Ivan Neville. Yeah, he it's. I had a gig in 1999. Um, I took a gig with the Roseanne Bar Show, which was not the Ro not Roseanne, but the Roseanne Show, <laughs> and it was her talk show for a couple of years on CBS. And she came to see me play at a club because her manager knew my manager at the time, and she and I hit it off. And she said, "Would you work? Would you be my band leader? You can have anyone you want, any musician you want." So I said, "Anyone?" She's like, "Anyone." So I said, "Okay, I want Ivan Neville." I want Charlie Drayton. You know, I just picked all these great Pierre de Beaupar, <laughs> who's actually Keith Richards' guitar tech. Yeah. Um, and uh, Vince Wilburn, who's in, who played with Miles Davis, and he's also Miles Davis's nephew. And that was the band. That was the, 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 the band for that. And uh, Ivan and I became really close. And then he asked me if I would go on the road with him. I said, hell yeah, <laughs> I'll be right there. It was really cool. He taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about playing in the pocket and playing in the pocket and in a way that, you know, a lot of times, you know, people say, Oh, you're rushing, you're playing, you know, pull the beat back a little bit. And that took me, that was the thing that took the longest for me to really get. I would do it sometimes, but not know I was doing it. And sometimes when I would get nervous, I play a little too up and too fast. And with Ivan, you know, I realized that just because you play back in the beat doesn't mean you can't hit it hard. You still got to lay into the guitar. And I, it, was, it was like Tom Bronigal, who's a really incredible drummer, 
was the drummer in that band and he was tough on me but i learned a lot between them it really taught me a lot incredible experience i mean just to have a mentor like that you know to kind of guide yeah. you along the way and you know teach you along the way it's wow that's you know living the dream there <laughs> yep <laughs> now you have a nickname right ape yeah that's <laughs> i did it to myself you know I, it's like you know i oh hold on so, sorry that was the i had to just hang up on the manager of the dirty knobs which i didn't want to do um so uh ape so basically what happened with ape was i had a license plate that said the space Ape. That was my license plate. And Mike Campbell thought that was the funniest thing he ever saw. I was like, well, I'm an ape and you're a gator, you know, being from Florida with yeah. alligators. And it just stuck. And, but I, you know, it was long before that that people, you know, would call me ape or monkey man or my style of guitar. They would say it's like monkey rhythm. Um, it went back to high school and it just stuck, you know, and it's, this is funny. It's a way to keep things light. Yes. You have a white 55 Stratocaster that you use mainly, correct? It's actually a 67. Oh, 67. Then a, I was thinking of Telly then, probably. Um, yes, I have a 55 Telly that, that you're probably that's, thinking of. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, and now that's your, 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 your primary guitar, correct? It's been my primary guitar for about 18 years. Wow, and it, it's all stock still? No, it's it's a Frankenstein guitar. It's and it blows every other Strat I own out of the water. Like it's tone, feel, everything. So what happened was, I went to this to West LA Music. I don't even know if that's still even open. Um, Ninety-seven, ninety-eight, around that time, and that guitar was hanging on the wall. And I played it, and I went nuts over this guitar. But it was a lot of money for me at that time, and I was like, all right whatever so when when five easy pieces got our record deal you know i got a pretty fat straight down there and bought that guitar it was still there and uh since i bought that guitar i mean and it, it would have been a lot more money but it was it didn't have the original pickups it had a kind of a weird refret not a really good one it was a refin but a bad refin so the only thing original on that guitar was the neck and body. The tuners were changed. The bridge was changed. The, the pick guard was changed. So I experimented with pickups. It took a few years to get like the, the ones I have now. Which they're, I can't even remember. I'm going to find out because I get asked this a lot. What, what are they? <laughs> um, but they're not expensive pickups. They're cheap. And I finally got it refretted with really fat to glide over. And what started happening was, you know, I started like at one point playing with Wadi Wachtel and his band and I'd have the white Strat. I would have maybe two other guitars and I'd pick up another guitar and he'd be like, hey, can you play the white Strat? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and then with Mike, I'd be with Mike and we'd come to a gig. I'd bring a Les Paul or bring an SG or I bring a Telly or you name it. I brought them all. 335s, just name it. I brought it to gigs. And but I don't even bother anymore because Mike always would kind of look at me funny like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you play the white strat and it's that that's what I played pretty predominantly on the Dirty Knobs record is the white strat. 
and it's just become the guitar that I just I just I don't know what it is. It's just it's in a mix house record. We we put just the solo of the two guitars, and against anything Mike played, it sounded amazing. <laughs> so it's become this sort of like old faithful. It's always going to be there. It's always going to sound good, and it's just fantastic. I mean, it's just I can't. I've tried. I own three other sixty sevens. I buy as soon as I see a sixty seven, I grab it, and the three other sixty sevens that I own. One of them is like really super clean. It's more of kind of a collector piece. The other two are, um, one of them is totally original. The other one is a refin, but they just don't even compare. It's weird. I don't understand. Wow. It's got to be the wood. It's odd. Yeah. There's something about that wood. It almost feels like it's really soft or something. I, it's just this weird. It's just, I love that guitar. <laughs> I can get any tone I want really quick. Yeah, and it sounds amazing. I mean, going over your records, it sounds really amazing. I mean, it stands out. Yeah, you can hear it in a mix. Like, you can hear that guitar. It's really cool. I got lucky. Now, let's geek out a little bit here. Um, now, what, what amp do you run it through? So, amps, that's a whole thing. Right? Like, amps, I... I I have a lot of amps, like a lot of them. Um, I probably have like 50 amps. And it really came down to, at the end of the day, the amp, the, the, what I like to do is play through my 6.5 Princeton Reverb and my 1951 Fender Deluxe Tweed together. I run them at the same time. Mike and I both do this. We run Princetons and Tweeds. And we kind of got to that together because we were trying basements for a while and i used to be really into basement heads and you know the big vibroverb i have 64 vibroverb which is amazing with a big jbl and it's really clean but you know for mike and i we wanted to be able to hear ourselves sing you know yeah. we're not like our singer. i mean we need to like we need all the help we can get so we got smaller and smaller amps. We kind of got down to these little amps, and and then you put microphones on that, and you run that through the house. Yeah, it, it sounds gigantic. It explodes. And you don't need, you just don't need all that stage volume. And you know, and so basically, that's been my rig for years, my main rig. Wow. Now, I also stumbled upon two rock amps at the Nam show, like two years ago. Kind of lost my mind over them because they're like. They just remind me of like Fender amps on steroids, kind of. Let me get. So, I own two of them. One's you know a head and, and cabinet, but the one I re I own two of the of the, the combo and the small you know single twelve combo, and uh, I basically run into a box into a three way box, and I basically keep the, the Tweed and the Princeton on all the time. And I put the two rock behind it or turn it around or face it away. And that's the third one when I need a little more juice. Ah. But I don't really mic it. I don't mic it. Okay. I just, it's just for me. And that that tone is kind of like my favorite thing of all times because you kind of have everything you need. You know, it's like you, it breaks up. You have the breakup from the tweed. It breaks up right away. You have like the second stage of breakup on the Princeton. And then the um, two rock, you can dial in what you want. You can get it to break up any way you want, but it's still pretty clean. 
Wow, that's pretty cool. I got to check that out in M this year or next year. Yeah, they're incredible amplifiers. They're just, I love them. Nice. And are you running any pedals? Yeah, I have uh, my main pedal board. Um, I have a Nova Delay by TC Electronics, which I, on any pedal board I use, I always have to have that on it. It's my favorite delay. It's very small, very easy to dial up. Um, takes, there's a little bit of a learning curve, which, you know, I learned the hard way at gigs. There was a one setting that I didn't understand. And sometimes it would get away from me and it'd be just repeating and repeating <laughs> and feeding back. But I finally figured out why it does that. Um, but it's incredible, incredible. And then as far as, you know, overdrive, distortion, whatever, I've tried everything under the sun. I played every pedal you can imagine. And about, I don't know, 17, 18, and they have a, by the way, I did not know the reference. It's called a camel toe. I did not know what that reference was in the world until people were like laughing at me about this pedal. I'm like, what's so funny? But it basically is two of their pedals in one. It's the green rhino, okay, yeah. which is kind of like a good overdrive and the red llama. Yeah. It's the two together. You can run them in a chain, which I never do because it's way too much. So I just go either or, and then Mike has been using it ever since. Like I turned Mike onto it. He loved it. He's never gone back. So he, he ended up buying a second one. I ended up buying a second one. And then I learned that there's only 19 that have ever been made wow. of the original, original, original camel toe. Now, wow. Yeah. And they brought them back and the new ones are actually unbelievable. They sound a little different, but only because I'm so used to the one I have. Yeah. Um, but that is just, to me, is such a phenomenal pedal because it takes your amp. It, it, like the whole chain, it's not like you're hitting something and then it goes up to this like decibel level and it's like separate of the amp. It's all part of the same chain. So whatever you're doing with your fingertips translates through that thing to the amp and there's no interruption. And you have the choice between the two sides. So that's my that's what I use there. Um, and then I have a tremolo pedal, which is, I can't remember who makes it, but it's amazing. Like Empress or something. I can't remember what it's called. And I have a Roto vibe that I use once in a while. Very rarely. Uh, like really, like on my set with my band, I use it on one song. With the Dirty Knobs, I maybe use it one time every five gigs on one little part of some song. Combiner which is like an envelope filter, okay. which is absolutely amazing. I love it. I like it more than the originals. Like I, the original, uh, I can't remember. The name escapes me. And I, and I have a wah. I, I, I forgot. I even forgot what the wah is, but it's just, you know, super simple. And that's it. And I, But I basically just use the delay. Oh, I do have one other pedal that I discovered recently that um, a great guitar tech turned me on to. Uh, his name is Shoddy, and he's worked with me for a long time. He's going to be going on the road with John Five next year. Um, well, shout and out to he, him. Yeah. So he's John Five is not only one of the greatest guitarists alive, but he's one of the nicest people alive. Um, but it's an MXR boost, and it's like their little signature series, and it's the cleanest, best boost I've ever used. Very similar in nature to what the way the huge pedal does by like not being separate of the sound, not standing on its own, just takes what you have and brings it up. Nice. And that's it. 
that's my rig. I, I love it. Stuck with it for years. And I've tried everything under the sun, every amp under the sun, and I always go back to, you know, the same tone. That's simple. It's, it's pretty cool. Simple setup, and yet sounds yeah. so powerful and so big and meaty, you know? It, I like that. It's pretty meaty. It's, it's all there. <laughs> you know, I like to roll off the volume on a guitar, you know? And, like, Wadi Wachtel, he doesn't use any pedals. He plugs into big Vibro Kings, two Vibro Kings, and that's it. Wow. So he turns it down with his, you know, turns it down down a little bit for rhythm and turns it up all the way for solos That's or wherever he wants it. And that, that taught me a ton. I'm like, wow, you don't need all these pedals. If you, if you have your tone, it's all in your hands. Um, you know, and you put me on Wadi's rig, I'm going to sound, you know, anemic and like weak, but like he just makes it like as soon as he plugs in, it's just incredible. His tone. So, you know, with my rig, I can really use that volume with my hand and, and just, it's just nice to have the headroom, you know, and then be able to pull back a little and just, you know, Dirty Knobs especially is a very dynamic band. You know, we, we're known to just like drop, you know, and boom, it's really quiet. And Mike will be like, ape, go. And I'm time for me to solo. And he does that, you know, in such a sweet way because he wants people to hear me. And I'm like, click this off, click this off. Just want the guitar through the amp and turn it down a little, <laughs> you know, and then go up from there. So it's really nice to have that that dynamic range on the guitar. Dirty Knobs coming up. You guys had a record just released. How about uh, one of your own records coming out anytime soon? Well, actually, it's not released yet. It's going to be released in March. Released in Dirty March. Dirty Knobs record. Okay. Yeah, I think. <laughs> it's not officially been announced yet, but you know, all the fans are talking about it online, and they seem to know what's going on. I find out more from them <laughs> than anybody. Um, and I'm I don't have any plans on releasing any new music for a while um just kind of getting mentally and spiritually prepared for you know going out there and you know i want to do my it's, it's something i've been waiting for for such a long time to do this with mike and the other guys and uh so i you know i'm just my head is really in that space right now good good and yes it, 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 it yeah. does it does take uh physical agility mental agility as well to you know hit the road and play gig to gig you know especially when you're on the road for a long time you know that, that yeah that comes up comes up pretty quick and bites you in the butt fast if you're not prepared so but that's, yeah. that's amazing yeah you're right you're absolutely right you got to be prepared now for someone who's inspiring to be a guitarist musician what uh what advice would you give them i mean i think the main thing is remember that a guitar is an instrument and the main application for a guitar is to play songs right like that's what like when people talk about wow i love blah 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 i love that guitar solo well the guitar solo is sitting within a song <laughs> it's right there's a verse there's a chorus that if it's a shitty song you probably won't remember solo and so I always try to remember it's all about songs, like always about the song. The song is king and you have to serve the song and you could have you could put the best musicians ever in a room. If they don't have a song to play, they're just going to play one chord and jam over it all day. And that, that gets boring after five minutes or two minutes. So to always remember that going in, like 
I'm learning to play the guitar because I want to be a great guitar player. I want to do this for fun or whatever, whatever your dream is, or if it's just whatever it is, don't lose sight of it. And then the other thing is practice without like ever breaking this at least 20 minutes a day, but not the stuff you already know. Practice 20 minutes of the day of the stuff you don't. The stuff is work. But every single day. Like I was I talk guitar for years. Yeah. I talked guitar for years. And um and I taught a lot of young people. And inevitably, I would be able to tell within five minutes if they had been playing all week. Or if they'd been rushing for an hour before to try to catch up to the work they were supposed to do. And I didn't make it hard on them at all. And I would tell them, if you, you just practice this and then build up to this and do it like literally 20, 25 minutes every single day, not an hour on Sunday and then an hour on Thursday and then I'm coming on Friday, but to get the your fingers start to remember stuff. And the more you're playing the stuff that's a little bit hard, and 20 minutes is a long time when it's hard. 20 <laughs> minutes goes by really quick when you play licks you already know. That's literally the greatest advice I could I could possibly think of is that consistency. Like and then if you play the hard stuff for 20, 25 minutes, you're gonna play at least an hour after. Because you're gonna be so like, oh I'm done with this. I just want to have fun. And it starts getting into your playing. You can't help it. That's a good advice. That's awesome. Oh, one more thing. Start on an acoustic. Play on an acoustic for at least a year. Okay. Don't get an electric. Acoustic guitar. I play acoustic guitar for two and a half years before I even touched an electric guitar. Acoustic and not uh, steel or acoustic uh, nylon. Steel. I think acoustic steel like is now for me. I didn't get an electric guitar for two and a half, three years because I got bad grades and my parents were like, "You're not getting anything." So I had no choice. But I had to learn a whole lot of love and all this stuff on a three quarter size Yamaha acoustic. And my fingers were so strong by the time. I got an electric guitar. I was snapping strings like beyond. And but I knew how to. It's not about your gear. It's always in the hands of the player. That's why I mentioned if you if you put me on Waddy's rig, I'll never sound like Waddy. If you put me through Mike's rig with his guitars, I'll never sound like Mike. And they won't sound like me. And they won't sound like you because we all have our own flavor. And you know, I see a lot of people. They learn riffs. They like right away. They don't really learn them. They just kind of learn them. And then other students I've had, the ones that really like were obsessed, I, I had to send them to other teachers because I taught them as much as I could do because they were learning on their own scales, modes, chords. I taught them about feeling like it, you know, sort of a, the esoteric you know, view of being a guitarist. And I knew that they should go with someone who's a little more technical in other ways that I wasn't able to. And I did that more than once. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. No one knows everything. <laughs> no, and and you learn something every day. You know, even if you're, yeah, you know, even like BB King. You know, you know, he's watching above from above, but um, you know, he learned something every day. Yes, and if you want to play blues guitar, listen to BB King. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and then if you want to see the, you know, where blues guitar has come to, listen to Joe Bonamassa. That's where I was going with. That. <laughs> Hopefully I could get him on the show one of these days. But uh, now, I know you're a huge Jerry Garcia fan. Um, yeah. Other than a Jerry Garcia song, what else are you listening to currently in your car or on your phone? 
Um, I've been listening to this Greg Ullman's last record before he passed away. I've been listening to that a lot. Um, uh, lately, I'm kind of on a little bit of a Beatles kick. And then I listen to a lot of old R&B. You know, I just I love Aretha Franklin. Like, I just I don't know what it is. When I listen to Aretha Franklin saying I I can't believe i existed in, at the same time in the universe that she did like it's she's so incredible to me so i listen to a lot of old music my girlfriend has turned me on to some newer artists that are incredible like her h dot e dot r yeah. uh I'm, I'm really into her music and i saw her at the hollywood bowl and she blew me away um with lauren hill it was a great concert um and then you know i listened to uh kind of just i'm very stuck in the stuff i like you know like <laughs> if it's not the grateful dead you know then i listen to you know a lot of old r&b i love the allman brothers i love mark knopfler i like his latest record i listen to that a lot um he just blows my mind stuff like that you know i mean it's it's and i, and I listen to a lot of vinyl so i think listening to music on vinyl is a very different experience than listen digitally yes and and you can do instagram stories and it's not, they don't try to kick it off your thing because there's no digital tracking <laughs> um i learned that i was like whoa i could do this but that's kind of what i've been into lately now besides music um books do you read any books any of you are what book i do um i'm actually reading a book called the plant paradox and it's all about um, basically health. I like a lot. I love health related books. I like spiritual books. I like, um, you know, any kind of psychology, that kind of stuff. I don't read novels, you know, um, I don't read fiction really. I don't know why I just never have. So I like to learn. So if I'm going to read, I like to learn. I also listen to audible you know there's that thing audible so i do oh, books yeah. on tape um which i really like it's i i can't do it like at a certain point in the day because i pass out i literally pass out it's just <laughs> gets me so relaxed and i learned to set the sleep timer to like 15 minutes because like 13 minutes in i pass out then i wake up listen to another 15 but i'm really into uh part of why i'm, I'm very interested in health is i'm very lazy i, I do I don't like to eat well, but I'm forcing it is I have issues with my hands. You know, I've had arthritis in my thumb. I have, I've had problems with my, you know, forefinger. I've had kind of issues that have made it difficult for me to play guitar. So to me, not being able to play guitar is not an option. So I've gone to every doctor under the sun when I had an issue a few years ago with it. And it came down to what I eat and eating non-inflammatory foods yes and it saved me you know it, it just saved me i wear this thumb brace basically um i have like six of them at any given time and i wear this all night people are like oh did you get an accident and i'm like no i'm saving my hand and it just keeps my thumb stationary and that's all it does let me describe to uh the listeners to what i'm seeing because they can't see what, what uh, you're showing me it's a thumb brace that goes around the thumb 
and it loops around the wrist. <laughs> exactly. It's really cool. And, you know, a, a hand surgeon turned me on to this. She was the only one that was like, you know, one guy said, you talk. I looked at him, I said, well, stopping a surgeon. If my hand gets screwed up, I'm going to have to. And I said, well, not an option. And basically, I changed my diet. It changed my life. And it didn't take that long. I mean, it just got all the pain out of my hands. Wow. It was incredible. Yeah, that's But, you know, I'm in love. I'm happy. I'm going to eat more, you know, and, you know, go on vacation. And it's very easy to fall out of good habits. And yeah. then as soon as I start getting pain again, I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. Got to get back on the train here. Yeah, plant-based diet again. <laughs> yeah. And it's very tricky because some, some fruits and vegetables are, are not good to eat if you have, like, peppers, tomatoes, they're not good for an anti-inflammatory diet. No, they're no. healthy otherwise. Yes. But they're, you know. Yeah, heartburn for sure. Exactly. Can you remember a song, a, a song probably when you were young that has stuck with you ever since? That's so funny you ask because I just did a story about this on, on uh, I posted one because I remembered it out of nowhere and it's Obla oh, Dee Blah Da Obladi Oblada by the uh, the Beatles off the White Album, and I remember being four years old, being in my mom's 1969 uh, Ford paneled uh, station wagon, and I wouldn't get out of the car until the song was done. And they were, you know, <laughs> I was like crying as soon as she did the ignition. I'm like, no, 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 you know, and I was just in love with that song, and I just was obsessed. And every time I hear that song, I get that feeling again that I got. And from that age, moving forward, music was, music always moved me. It always made me feel something. And uh, it still does. Like certain songs can just snap me out of a bad mood, like instantly. Like it just takes me, yes. takes me to that place. I know exactly what you mean. Everyone does. We all, we all have that, which is beautiful. Yes, and that does a lot with uh, our brain cells, our chemistry, and everything. You know, it's amazing that exactly music creates this uh, frequency, a wave that you know causes your body to either excite or get dull, or you know. So true. Where can uh, fans uh, reach you? You know, the best place is Instagram. Seriously, that is the best place. I have a website which is jasonsene.com that I need to update. It's a little out of date. But I, I'm really good about getting back to people, you know, if they message me. And, you know, I try to as soon as I can. Sometimes it gets a little built up. But that's the easiest, most convenient way for me to, you know, talk to people. And people reach out to me and ask advice about gear or methods of playing. And it's just, you know, on Instagram. And are you attending uh, NAM this year or next year? NAM 2020? Uh, you know... I, I might, you know, I probably won't because it's the best way to get a flu. And it's like, <laughs> last time I went, I, you know, it was worth it because I got a tour out of it. I got a, like a, I put together a tour because I ran into a drummer and it was great. That was like so worth it. It kind of all fell together and I got to discover the two rock abs. And I see so many people I know, which is fun. But I, I highly doubt I'll go this year. I think I'll go the following year. But we are going to play at a um, at the Duesenberg guitar party 
They have this incredible thing they do. It, it sells out every year. Um, and the Dirty Knobs, I think, I think we're going to be playing at this thing. Oh, cool. In, in January. Cool. Sounds like fun. Well, last year, the headliner was Alice Cooper, and I got to play with him, and he's like a childhood hero of mine. No so way. that That's was pretty just... cool. And I didn't know I was going to play with them. It was literally like they, I was leaving, and someone ran and grabbed me, like, oh, get on stage with Alice. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And they, just, they threw me out there, and it was great. <laughs> I'm like, what song? And luckily, his guitar player, I think his name is Johnny, the nicest guy, great player. And we just hit it off, and we kind of became buddies on stage. It was like, he's like, I love what you're playing, dude. I'm like, I love what you're playing. It's so funny. <laughs> You know, when, when you've been around guitars <laughs> your whole life, I think that chemistry, um, whatever song is playing, you, you know, you adapt to it really fast. Yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, the the coolest, one of the coolest sessions I ever did was for Jerry Lee Lewis. And I got brought in because the guitar player that had done the original sessions on these bunch of songs got a gig with the Pretenders and he had to go on the road. So I knew Jim Keltner, who was the drummer on the record, and Martin Pradler was the engineer. He engineered the Dirty Nas record. And they called me in, you know, to play on this thing. And they gave me a list of songs that I learned. When we got to the session, they decided they wanted to do the other list of songs that they'd done in Nashville. <laughs> and I had no time to learn them. And there was no charts. There was nothing. And... I couldn't hold it up, and all I could do, they like gave me a CD. I had to sit in my car with the guitar, 90-degree heat, and listen as fast as I could and just take notes. And I was just like shaking. The other guitar player, Kenny, may, his, may he rest in peace, he uh, he was giving me hand signals like, one, two, 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 four, four, you know, like, five. Like, <laughs> it was so crazy between that and just going on autopilot and just kind of feeling where the song might go. I got through it. Yeah. You just get through it. You just have to like, you can't clam up. And it ended up being random. Like most of the record, I think. So it was that thing where you're around guitars, you're around music, you know, and you just kind of fall into it. But I was scared to death. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was really scared, but it was great. Yeah, it was crazy. I can imagine. You know, with Jerry Lee Lewis, that's that's amazing. Um, I'm trying to get his um, nephew-in-law, Danny B. Harvey, on the show, too. Oh, um, I love Hex. I'm trying to get him through. Uh, I love Hex. He's great. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Hex Hendrickson. Trying to get him through him. Yeah. So, so Hex great. was actually one of my first interviewees uh, on the show. Oh, so. and he can tell him. He's, he he can tell yeah, a story. He He's, He's so funny. Galore. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's like uh, Marty Stewart, you know? He can yeah. tell you stories about yeah. so-and-so and, so cool. and just delivers it, you know? Well, uh, Jason, I want to thank you for coming up on the show. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, it was amazing hearing about your uh, success and uh, your your work with uh, as a session musician, work with Dirty Knobs. Thank you. Um, work with a lot I of I appreciate other, it. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun, happens. man. Again, thank you, Jason, for the opportunity to feature you on my podcast. You can follow Jason on his Facebook at Jason Sine Music and on his Instagram at Jason Sine. Also, don't forget to buy his. <laughs> that didn't come out right. Also, don't forget to buy some of his albums. 
anywhere their music sold, anywhere that music sold online, actually. Uh, or you can visit his webpage at just jasonsonay.com. And don't forget also to buy the Dirty Knobs new record coming out pretty soon, hopefully next year. And hopefully I'll get an opportunity to interview them as well. Well, if you made it this far, thank you for sticking around and listening to me jabbered. And as always, don't be surprised if somewhere, someplace, when you least expect it, you will hear that one song that will forever change your life. (laughs) 